You may have noticed we have a special guest preacher with us this morning. He really needs no introduction, but I'll give one anyway. Uh, Dana Allen is the head of our denomination. You may remember that in 2015, we celebrated our 125th anniversary as a church, and Dana came and preached God's Word to us beautifully back then, and he's come back to share a word with us. A little bit update on Dana and Beth and their three kids. Uh, their oldest son is uh, now at Baylor, so you can be praying for him. He's pretty disappointed the last few uh, uh, football Saturdays. Uh, but anyway, uh, his son is now at Baylor, and actually, uh, Dana and Beth, after spending years in California, have seen the light, and they're moving to Texas. Hallelujah. So they'll be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So please join me in welcoming Dana Allen to our pulpit today. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me. I do love to be at this church, and uh, I appreciate Howard and our friendship, and really the marvelous things that God is doing in you and through you in the way that you are uh, showing the light and love of Jesus into not only Amarillo, but uh, beyond and into the world. And so very thankful for you, um, thankful for us and our moving of our denominational headquarters to um, to Dallas. It was uh, interesting as we sort of priced out U-Hauls and moving stuff. When you rent a U-Haul from California to Dallas, it's about $3,500. If you rent one from Dallas to California, it's about $1,200. Uh, they'll almost pay you to bring it back. It's because so many of us are heading and moving in this direction. Uh, when I took my son to Baylor, one of the, the funny things that I saw on the, the freeway was on the signs that said, slow down, you're already in Texas. Uh, so I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good one. And uh, when I took him to college, it reminded me of my own time and going to college. My major was microbiology. At that point, I thought God was going to call me to be a, a doctor. Now I say that I have enough medical knowledge to make me dangerous. Um, and I could tell, share stories of when that has, has come to be. But uh, I, I was always surprised. I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I was always surprised at how the professors in the biology department um, didn't believe in a God at all didn't believe in, um, you know, intelligent and powerful designer. You know, and I, we, we look at the beauty and the intricacy of God's creation, especially in God's creation of humanity. And we see how wonderfully our bodies are made that we know that if we're in extreme cold, our body sacrificially shunts blood to our, uh, to our internal organs to keep us alive. That if we get a cut, our body knows to send elements there to, to stop the bleeding and to perfect, per, uh, protect from infection. If you get into a shower that's too hot immediately, you put your foot in there and you get a, a sensation to take it out because it's dangerously hot temperature. When I was in college, I didn't have a picture on my wall of uh, beautiful women or bands like many college students had. I had this picture of a cell, if you can all read that for me. No, I'm just kidding. The, that is the inner workings of a human cell. That all of those are the elements and what happens inside of one cell. And everything in there has to be perfectly aligned. If there's too much of one thing or one of those elements isn't right or the mechanism doesn't work, it means death not only to that cell but likely to be replicated on and isn't a host of life. And to say that all of this was accidental would be like me walking out to the parking lot and wondering what kind of storm created all those cars. It's, it's crazy. If we look at the beauty of creation because of, of that, of God's beautiful creation, especially of 
the human body, it's no wonder why one of God's favorite illustrations, favorite understandings and descriptions of what the church is supposed to be is indeed a body. There's lots of images in Scripture about what the church, but the most prevalent or one of the most prevalent is that the church is a body. That not only the church universal, wherever believers are present, but individual congregations like First Press Amarillo are a body. And we are to work together just like our body is to work together for its own flourishing. Now, one of my friends and authors, and he'll be one of our national gathering speakers, Alan Hirsch, says that if you want to see perfectly, if you want to see a blueprint for God's ideal church, all of it just distilled down into one passage, he says that can be found in the beginning of Ephesians 4. And I believe he's right. And he says this is actually as close as we can come to a silver bullet, that if we can live this out, we will actually be God's ideal church the church exactly as he designed it. So that is an important and high calling. And so we open up our scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4, starting, I don't know what that was, but uh, starting in verse 4, or verse 1, and going down to uh, 16. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he'd also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of the fullness of Christ, so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. There is so much in this passage. I I hesitated using it, and you could preach many sermons on it, but it really does encapsulate what God's desire is for the church. And Paul starts off uh, in verse 4, and he says, therefore, in chapter 4, he says, therefore. 
Now, therefore means, hey, so what has to become before influences what is to come now. And so in the book of Ephesians, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we get a great theological framework for the faith that we are to live. And so there are passages like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. that says, for it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of our own doing. It is not by works. It is a gift of God so that no one should boast. These wonderful theological truths that are the foundation of our faith are all explained in chapters 1 through 3. And so then Paul says, therefore, based upon what has already been said, here's how we are to live. Here's how the church is supposed to function. Here's what it is supposed to look like. And he goes on to talk about the great unity of the church. Be eager to maintain the unity of faith. And then he talks about the oneness, right? That we are a a body that has one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of it all. We get it, Paul. It's about oneness. Or at least we get it in our heads. I don't know if we always get it when we interact as a body together. So these great statements about the oneness of the church and the unity of the church. But then he talks about the differences, that are within the church. That just as my body is one, it also has some different organ systems. And all of those organ systems need to function well, and they need to function effectively in order for me to be a healthy body. And so Paul says, well, here's, here's the differences that are within the body. And he lists them out. He says, there's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. So there's a lot of things in this passage that I have to go over very quickly, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on this part because I think this is the place that we often get wrong and it throws off the blueprint, the architecture for how we are supposed to function as a body. So there's three things I think in particular the church often does with this passage, either knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, The first thing that they do is oftentimes uh, the church will look at these gifts or these roles and they'll combine them with other places in Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. And so places like Romans or Corinthians that talk about different gifts, uh, they'll just lump all of these things in together with all of those other gifts and you might take a spiritual gifts test and there's just a smattering of different things from from within Scripture. But this passage is meant to be a complete framework for understanding the church. So if you've ever taken something like DISC, a personality test like DISC or Myers-Briggs or um, Strength Finders or the Enneagram, all of those are meant to be complete frameworks to understand how we are wired and how we behave. This passage, too, is meant to be a complete way, not the only complete framework, but a complete framework for understanding how God has orchestrated a healthy body together. So that's one important thing to understand about the passage. The other thing that's challenging is that we often, especially in our Reformed and Presbyterian traditions, we often negate the apostles and the prophets 
and we say the evangelists are those rare few people like the Billy Graham people, uh, that it's, you know, those people. So what we're left with is the shepherd teachers, and we oftentimes just focus on those two roles out of these five. And then the third way that we mess it up is that we often look at this as only about the paid leadership in the church. That the congregation has these other gifts, but the paid leadership in the church, the professional Christians, they're the ones who have these roles. But here's the thing as we read the passage. In verse 7, it says, grace is given to each one of us. This whole passage is talking to the totality of the body. The grace is given to each one of us. Now he talks about the dying and rising of Christ. But then he says, and here is that grace. Here are those gifts that are given to the entire body. So when we understand that, then we understand that there are some of us who are wired apostolically. Now, the reason we have oftentimes ignored apostolic gifting is because sometimes people have used that in an abusive manner. There'll be an apostle and say, well, you know, I have the right to say this, and what I say, it's my way or the highway, and, you know, that's just it. But that's not what apostleship actually means. Apostleship actually means the sent one. And so those who are wired apostolically are wired in such a way to send, to take the gospel into un- and underreached people groups. So you all have some apostolic spirit in here. You're planting something, and, and Kim is helping to, to lead that charge, planting something in Canyon. Say, here's a place that needs a reformed understanding of the gospel to be planted there. That's apostolic, taking it into a new direction. And then there's prophetic we ignore prophetic sometimes because you may have known people who say, well, I'm a prophet and God told me this, so therefore you can't disagree with me. But that's not ultimately what prophets did. What prophets did throughout Scripture is they called people back to the heart of God to say, are we really doing what God wants us to do? I had a children's ministry director in my last church, and she had that prophetic kind of influence to her. And I remember it was like the second week of January, and we were having our, our staff meeting, and we had just gotten our year-end numbers. And we were celebrating because everything was up and to the right. We had more worship attendance, more membership, our giving was better, and we were celebrating that. And she says, yeah, but are we really doing what God's calling us to do? I said, could you shut up for a minute, right? We're, we're trying to celebrate here. But I appreciated that heart is to say, hey, just because giving is good and more people are sitting here doesn't mean we're doing what God wants us to do, and that's a good word. The evangelists are the people that are, are so infectious with the good news that they want to remind believers as well as sharing with non-believers the truth of the goodness and the grace of God. The shepherds are those who have that ability to walk and to care for people, but not just to care for them for the sake of caring for them, but to nurture them into spiritual health so they can use their gifts for the kingdom as well. And the teachers are the ones who know and can explain and articulate the truth of the gospel, and that obviously happens in um, worship, but it also happens in all of your Sunday school classes as well. That, that's that primarily teaching role. But the thing that we need to remember is that all of us have those, one of those at least, particular wirings where God has called you. 
So I just have these two images that I want to show you about how we, under, how we oftentimes need to look at this passage. And I think this is really important. The traditional way, again, we have understood this, is that circle represents the entire congregation. And then up at the top are the paid professionals. And we ignore the A, P, and the E. We ignore the apes, as we often say. And what we're left with is the shepherd teachers. Great, those are the paid professionals. They're the shepherd teachers. And the congregation has other gifts. But if we look at that next slide, we can see here's actually a biblical understanding that here's the whole of the congregation. And that one way to look at it is we're all uh, fragmented into these different roles. Now, some people are given these roles but not using it. Some people are then using their roles. And some people are leading out of those roles. So the reality is, is that God has given us these particular gifts the question is, are we using it or not? So my son that is at, um, at Baylor, he actually graduated from the same high school that I graduated from. And they had there, they had an after-prom party, and when I graduated there, they also had an after-prom party. And it was to try to encourage kids not to go out and drink and party, and so they offered some pretty cool gifts uh, for this after-prom party. One of the things they offered when I was there was a chance to win a brand new car. And so what would happen is of our seniors, there were five of them would get this chance to win a car. And there's two other local high schools, and so there are five high school, five people from this high school, five people from this high school, 15 people that all got this chance to win a car. And I was one of those people that won this chance at a car. And so on the Monday after the last prom, uh, everybody went down to Toyota of Santa Barbara, and they had a reverse drawing. So the first person's name that got drawn of these 15 got $50. Next person got $50. After about two or three people down, it went up to 75 and then 100. And then it came down to me and a good friend of mine, also from my high school. We were the only ones left. And they drew out his name. So he got $200 and I got the brand new car. Ooh, it was so nice. And the news was there, uh, you know, they had their, their video cameras, all of that kind of stuff. And they said, we need for the news, we need to get a, um, some video of you driving the car off the lot to show on the news. I said, great, happy to do that. They come, they give me the keys, I get in the car, and it's a stick shift. <laughs> and I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And so I said, we're going to have to do something else, uh, some other kind of footage here. And my, some of my friends were there, and again, the news was there, and all of this. And it ended up that my mom had to drive the car off the lot for me. <laughs> Which is, as an 18-year-old, is really, um, you know, affirming. So, right, so I have this car, and it's sitting on the curb, and I need to learn how to use it. And so my parents did rock, paper, scissors for who had to teach me, right? And the, the loser had to teach. And if you've ever driven the stick, you know that, right? You start ooh, 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 at the beginning, and then you kind of learn. And eventually you learn, okay, this goes in, this goes out, and you have to think about it. But over time, it just becomes natural. You just naturally know how to do it. And that's how it is with our gifts. That God has given you these gifts, and sometimes the first time you're using them, it may be a little awkward, it may be kind of jerky, but over time, as you get to use it more and more, it becomes natural. So however God has wired you, I want you to discover that and utilize that because the body needs you to be able to do that. 
And what, what Paul goes on to say, he goes, here's what the picture looks like when we're all using our gifts. So we see this unity, diversity, and then we see unity again. He says, we will all become to the unity of faith. Now, usually in our culture, unity is kind of this lowest common denominator thing. But that's not what Paul says. He goes, we're going to be unified on the core truth of the gospel. It says, in fact, it says, we will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Right? We're, We're going to be firm. He says, and then we're going to grow into the full stature of Christ. That our church will grow into the full stature of Christ. They will begin, the church will mimic Christ into the world. Isn't that a great picture? Like, can you imagine if people in Amarillo who haven't read the gospel, they, they know about what you're doing in these different places, and they finally read about Jesus, and they go, I know people that live like him. And, and they're at First Press Amarillo. They're living out that full stature of Christ. But we have to, have to be able to all use the gifts that God has given us. A book that I'm making my way through is called The Numbers Game. And it says, uh, why everything you know about soccer is, is wrong. I would not recommend it unless you, A, really love soccer or really love math. <laughs> because there's a lot of math in here. And what they say about the game is, is interesting. They did a, a, bit, a lot of statistical studies in here. And what they say is that games, uh, professional sports, are either on a spectrum of strong link and weak link sports. So a strong link game is something like basketball. Where in basketball, if you get one or two really star players, you can do really well and win championships. You know, we had the NBA draft recently and the San Antonio Spurs who were the very bottom of the Western uh, division and the draft works like Jesus, you know, where the first become last and the last become first and so forth. And, and so, right, and so they they get this Victor Wimbanyama, right? He's a seven-foot-five guy and the most talked-about like, recruit or first-round draft pick. And people are wondering, yeah, could they go all the way? Could they go from nothing to winning it because they've got this great guy? That's a strong-link sport. And they, what they say is soccer, though, is actually a weak-link sport. That you can have a couple of great players, but actually the strength of your team is going to depend on your weakest link. In fact, they say if you can take your weakest person on the team, the weakest person on the field, and if you can increase their capacity by 10%, you will end up having 13 more goals in the season than you did before. That's a lot. For a sport that is oftentimes nil-nil and people are okay with that, which is crazy to me, but right, just very little score. 13 goals is a lot of goals if you can just take your bottom person and make it 10% better. Here's my point. I wonder how we view the church. Is it a strong link game or a weak link game? I oftentimes think we view it as a strong link game. Boy, if we can just get the right pastor. I mean, I talk to pastor nominating committees all the time. If we could just get the pastor who will save and revitalize our church, everything will be great. And I I love our pastors. I love Howard and Kim and all of it, but it's not just dependent on them. That actually, I think what Scripture teaches us is that it's, in some sense, a weekly game. It says that the, the ideal church, it says, builds itself up in love when each person does their part. 
I am so excited for your church. I love your church. I love what it does. Howard's driving me around yesterday and, and showing me some different things. I think God is wanting to do even greater and greater things through your, and I, I really believe that. But what it's going to take is it's going to take each person to say, I'm going to fulfill my part. I'm going to take the way that God has wired me and used me, and I'm not going to let the spiritual gift of my car sit on the curb, but I'm going to use it even when it's a little uncomfortable and even when it's awkward. I'm going to use it to build up the body. And then we're going to be the church that God is calling us to be in Amarillo and beyond. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for designing us, for giving us the wonderful gift of your son for reminding us that it is by grace and not by works that we are saved. What a wonderful and powerful reminder for us. And that, Lord, when you save us, you save us into the body. You save us into your church and the various expressions of that church throughout the world. And so I thank you for First Press Amarillo and for who you have called them to be, for who you have made this portion of your body to be. And I pray for every single person here and the way you have wired them. That you have good works prepared for them in advance that you also tell us about in Ephesians. And I pray that each person, no matter how old or young or sick or healthy or rich or poor, whatever it may be, would use the way that you have wired them to be able to build one another up, to make this body represent you and your love into Amarillo and beyond. So we pray these things in thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.